You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Smashed from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Aaron Albano. And I'm Mo Brady. Welcome back, listeners, to our tongue-in-cheek recap of what is television's most detailed depiction of the theater industry. And yes, we're still talking about Smash, the NBC series that chronicled the creation of not one, but two Broadway musicals and all of the drama that ensued along the way. We've been going back episode by episode to see how this supposed love letter to Broadway has held up over the last decade. In each podcast episode, we're looking to find the answers to these three questions. Did it represent Broadway then? Does it represent Broadway now? And is it any good? So let's dive in and talk about episode eight of season two, The Bells and Whistles. Aaron, give us the stats. The Bells and Whistles premiered on March 26th, 2013. It was written by Noel Valdivia and directed by Craig Zisk, whose work was last seen by Smash audiences in the second episode of this season, The Fallout. Viewership was up 0.39 million from last week, bringing the total of people watching to a moderately high number of 3.05 million. <laughs> Yay, moderately high. Yay, moderately high. We had four featured songs this week, two songs and a reprise of the original variety, and one cover, that cover being Beyonce's If I Were a Boy, performed by Krista Rodriguez. Shaman and Whitman delivered the party pumper Let's Start Tomorrow Night, sung by Leslie Odom Jr. with help from Wes Taylor and Savannah Weiss, and yet another reprise of Let Me Be Your Star. Our newest writer for Hit List comes again from the pop world. Andrew McMahon gave us I Heard Your Voice in a Dream, sung and danced by Jeremy Jordan. And ring in that synopsis, Mo. Rehearsals for Hit List have just begun, and already Jimmy and Derek are butting heads. Not only over the direction, but over who gets to creep over their leading lady, Karen. Jimmy's afraid Derek wants to add too many bells and whistles to their small and simple show. And he's got both Karen and Scott Nichols of Manhattan Theatre Workshop on his side. Queen Ivy is back leading Bombshell, and the company is gagging over her. (laughs) Yes, they are. Tom wants to value the cast's creative opinions, so the obvious answer is to invite them over to his apartment for drinks. Around the piano, Tom's old flame, Sam, performs a trunk song of his and Julia's called Let's Start Tomorrow Tonight. Against Julia's wishes, Tom wants to use his directorial pull to create a role for his former beau in Bombshell. But in the end, Tom grows a pair and tells Sam he can't put him in the show. When Tom and Julia drop by Hit List rehearsal to ask Derek's advice, the two men end up having their first heart-to-heart of the television series. Tom is in awe of the harsh way Derek speaks to actors, which he explains as having them respect you is more important than having them like you. The front stoop chat makes Derek realize that Jimmy's arrogance reminds him of himself as a 24-year-old, and that Jimmy's ideas might be as brilliant as Derek's were at his age. The result is my personal favorite choreography of the entire series, Voice in a Dream, (laughs) employing an ensemble of dancers including Carla Puno Garcia, Sky Maddox, and others. Derek choreographs a twisting, turning, storytelling dance piece about Jimmy's character running into obstacles as he tries to reach Karen's character. If you watch only one song from Smash, I implore it to be this one. At a bar after rehearsal, Anna finally gets the balls to go after what she wants, playing the diva in Hit List. 
dancing on the bar, singing If I Were a Boy, She Clinches the Part. And there's some new casting at Bombshell as well. Eileen has cast Ivy's mom, Lee Conroy, to play Gladys. Everyone's favorite role, Gladys. Gladys. <laughs> How did they not already have a Gladys? I That's know. I, I know. I We're going to get into it. We're going to we'll get, get there. It. All right. The bells and whistles are. Do you understand why? The bells and whistles. I got called? it. This, Mo, I got it. Mo, I got it. I'm so proud. I have of you. some questions, but I got it. Last week, I was confused about the title. This week, I am no longer confused. Right. Jimmy doesn't think his show needs bells and whistles. However,. That's sort of Derek's go-to. He wants to add sets and costumes and lights and lots of fancy-smancy things. Let's pour one out for the LED screens, man. Mm, man, we are... Broadway's go-to for bells and whistles, just <laughs> LED screens everywhere. Do shows need bells and whistles? Do you think Derek is right? You know, honestly, I hate that I'm even saying this, but I was on Jimmy's side this time. Mm. Despite me not knowing what his show was about until he literally told me today, once you have a strong theme... You don't need all the glitz and glamour and the razzle-dazzle. Um, I mean, here's the que- here is the question, though, because bells and whistles are valuable and a time-honored tradition of Broadway, I guess. And you want to see gotten- your money on that stage, yo. Yeah, you've only- and, and they are part of the commercial success of Broadway. But there is something to be asked on whether the bells and whistles are augmenting your show. Or if the bells and whistles are distracting from your show. Sure. I think what Derek's saying is an accurate representation of some people about Broadway, right? If audiences are going to spend $140 to see a show, they want to see their money on stage, right? They want to see a flying carpet. They want to see a helicopter. They want to mm-hmm. see a barricade. They want to see a falling chandelier. They want to see a room draped in red with monogrammed Moulin Rouge windmills. Right? Sure, like, but but the, but there therein lies the issue. That's his go-to because he's been working on Broadway for so long. Scott and Jimmy are both literally like, "This isn't Broadway, bro. We're gonna blow our entire budget. We don't want to do that. This is not what that show is." And Karen says it too. This is, and so I guess the question is, was that? Derek's go-to from a storytelling perspective, or was that Derek's go-to because it was what he's used to and was not necessary? Well, I guess the real question is, why did Jimmy and Kyle choose Derek as their director if they didn't like his sort of um, style of direction, right? Okay. It doesn't seem like Jimmy and Kyle have really thought about the kind of director that Derek is, only that he is a director. He is a director, and he's, <laughs> when you, yeah, yeah, fair. Derek is a win for Hit List, right, because he's a big Broadway director, but he's not necessarily the right director for this show, yeah. And maybe that's where all of these problems are lying in the communication styles between Jimmy and Derek. It's not that one of them is right and one of them is wrong. It's that they don't really see the same trajectory for the show yet. Well, and I guess what, what the interesting thing is, too, is what was Derek's argument for needing the bells and whistles? Did he have one? Uh, that audiences like bells and whistles. That's the only reason. I think so. So 
yeah, so Jimmy was right. Do you Crap. disagree that audiences want bells and whistles, want to see their money on stage, want to see something sort of visually exciting, whether it be on Broadway or off-Broadway, Aaron Albano? Yes, I think they do. But I think there's an honest question on when those things go wrong, because that's the joy of live theater. Sometimes things go wrong. Does the show fall apart if those bells and whistles fall? Right. The show still has to be good enough to work in a rehearsal room, essentially, on a blank stage. I mean, we I mean, we saw a number where it didn't need the bells and whistles. What was nice about watching this new number was that in every other version of numbers from Hit List, we were watching Derek's perspective with all the bells and whistles. And this mm-hmm. was the first number we saw with no... Fan. Futuristic imagery. There, there, was, there was no, no fan. fan. There was no projections. There was no Pepsi Cola sign. And we saw that the number held up. In part, thanks to it being the best number in the Smash catalog. All right, I'm doing it. I'm going in. <laughs> Let's I'm going go. in. Okay. Okay. Voice in a dream. It's just the best number. And I've been thinking about why, and it is because it tells a story. I mean, before no- we get to even the story... It's Andrew McMahon from Something Corporate. I don't know what that means, so tell me. So you don't know what's... Okay, so Something Corporate was a band in the, like, early 2000s. And it came in at, like, alternative rock, like, angsty teen rock. It was, like, at the peak of that time. And Mm. Something Corporate, all of their music sounds like this. Constantine was... Listeners, if you want to, it's a nine-minute song, but it's great. I listened to it for, like, a week straight. Back in 2005. It was so great. It was, and so why you like the song itself is because of Andrew McMahon from Something Corporate. Yes, I think it also sort of, if listeners remember, I like Rent, I like American Idiot, like it sort of lives mm-hmm. in that style, right? There's something about mm-hmm. it that is very much of that sort of scrappy, dirty, storytelling. I hear you and I get you. And then on top of it, it tells a good story. It tells a story. Like think, think about it. National Pastime, which is sort of the other kind of brilliant staging that I think of when I think of Smash, right? We all watched mm-hmm. the pilot and we were like, oh my God, that baseball number was so great. There's no story. It's just a number. It's, you know, um, public relations, Marilyn doesn't come off the plane and like convince anyone that they should be gaga over her. She just comes off the plane, everyone's gaga over her, and then they move her around on luggage carts. Like Mm -hmm. no song in the Smash canon so far has told a story, had a beginning, middle, and an end through visual movement. And here we got one, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it like blows your mind when you're like, oh, look, we can use movement to tell a story in a really interesting visual way. It's beautiful. I mean, the the dancers themselves are gorgeous dancers Uh, anyway. Okay. Two two things. Yes. Their men and women are both great. I'm going to give a shout out to the men because great. They're all, I think they're all Spider-Man dancers. Like, I think they were all in Spider-Man at some point because they're all like kipping up and, you know, doing. Very athletic. (laughs) Yes. It's a very athletic movement. But then anytime you can get Sky Maddox and Carla Puna Garcia in the same space, these are two of Broadway's best dancers and they're at their prime and they are just fantastic. I am mm-hmm. gaga over both of them. They're, and they're really dancing, right? Not like we haven't seen great dancers. There's other yeah. great dancers in this season, but there's something about this movement that's more contemporary. It's a dance vocabulary that we haven't seen on the show yet. And it's so refreshing and so... It's so nice to come away from the 
I hate that I'm using this word, but Broadway style of movement that this show has now used as its vocabulary for a season and a half. Mm-hmm. Now we're watching the future of Broadway in this more contemporary style. My only qualm is, can you imagine Derek Wills just demonstrating any of these steps? No, I was like, these steps did not come out of that person. And in that <laughs> amount of time, he's like, oh, I need to stage a number. Like, that was a really hard number to stage, It was right? an intricate number. Right? Each of those people is doing different things at different times. A lot of contact improv went into that number. Oh, for sure. And I don't think Derek Wills has those tools in his wheelhouse. <laughs> okay, here's a question for you. Derek says, having actors respect you is more important than having them like you. Do you agree with that statement, Aaron? For a director, yes, I do. Someone needs to lead. The best directors have the actors like them and respect them. Sure, it does we seem... We don't see that on this show. It does seem like it'd be possible. <laughs> yeah, we have... we The show, we see two... One director who is a pushover and a people pleaser and wants everybody to like him so much that he invites them over for drinks on a school night. And then you have the other one who yells at everybody (laughs) and creates a horrible work environment. Yeah, who doesn't actually seem to direct as much as yell. Yeah, but that said, one looks like they're on their way to a viable product and the other one is still casting. (laughs) So is it one or the other? Not necessarily. But in this conversation between Derek and Tom, yes, Actors need to respect their leader, even if they don't want to go have drinks with him tomorrow. And Tom, he's new. He's new, which is fine, growing pains. But the entire series, we've watched Tom just want to be Ivy's best friend. Just want to make good by Sam. Just want to, like, please Julia. All of these things that don't translate into leadership well. And we see it in this episode because you watch his best friend be like, hey, pull up. You watch his other friend walk all over him or try to walk all over him. And you see his ex-boyfriend be like, be very betrayed by him because he wasn't able to follow through on a promise that severely affected his life. Yeah, let's get into, let's get into Bombshell. (laughs) Let's get into Tom's quote unquote leadership at Bombshell. Right. Well, you know, we do need to be giving more people opportunities in the theater. And so I'm so glad that a cis white gay man was given the opportunity to direct a Broadway show. That's exactly the kind of opportunities we need in our Mm -hmm. our industry. Um, Yeah. What 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 bothers you more, Aaron, that Tom as a director is a people pleaser who wants everyone to like him? That he has a sloppy cast dynamic or that he hosts a party on a school night? I mean, is there D, all of the above? <laughs> all of it's a mess. It, 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 it all goes back to the fact that he doesn't... Have a vision. No, he doesn't. And I can't even believe I'm like using this like bachelor rhetoric, but like he's not here for the right reasons. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just like, you're not here to tell a story. You're not here to like to lead a show because that's what you want to do. You're here because... He just wants to be one of the cool kids. This is not RuPaul's best friend race. No. <laughs> this is a Broadway musical. Literally. And it's and and he's blowing it. He blew it. He blew it. And especially, gosh, I was so upset when he and Julia watched it from a mile away. Not a mile away. She was standing right next to him. But when he offered 
Samurai. Thank God. I mean, it was nice that we got to see Leslie Odom Jr. again. Oh, I was yeah. happy she- to see him back on my screen. But to watch Tom offer Sam a role and then have Sam like uproot his life and then Tom be like, sorry, I can't make it happen. I'd be just as pissed. Oh, sure. The justification for Sam being mad is incredibly true. Um, Yes. Although, I mean, let's be honest, you don't quit that job until you see that contract come in and you sign it, right? Am I right? I mean, and you also can't quit from vacation, so right, it's fine. Right, yeah, it's <laughs> like, fine. Like, <laughs> the authentic details aside, <laughs> like, yeah. your ex-boyfriend screwed you again, and that's, that, that is not a good Mm-mm. look at why all. Would you, why would you want to screw over Leslie Odom Jr.? He's such a doll. Mm. Uh-huh. Okay. I have the biggest problem with Tom's statement earlier in the episode where Tom tells Sam, there's a spot for you here. And then Julia says, you can't offer Sam a role. There's nothing left except Gladys. Even our swings are hired. I have so many problems with this statement. Okay. I have so many questions. <laughs> yes, so many questions, so many questions. Okay, first off, it's like Tom doesn't realize that Sam was unhappy on the Book of Mormon tour. It's like, were you not texting? Like, did it you? It seems like that was a clean break. It right? seems like they didn't you... talk at like, all. I, I, the, the idea that he didn't know that Sam was unhappy on tour. Yeah, is, a, is I a... mean, even even if there was a clean break between Tom and Sam, Sam and Ivy are very close, and Tom and Ivy are very close. Oh, you yeah. don't think he's going to keep tabs? Mm-mm. Like, I'm sure Ivy was having her own stuff to do with liaisons, but. As self-focused as Tom is, you would assume that he'd still be asking about Sam. Right. Okay. This was our first mention of Gladys, who (laughs) then comes back full force at the end of the episode. We'll talk about that a little later. But I was like, who's Gladys? We've never in a season and a half heard about a role of Gladys. Well, very clearly by the end of the episode, we know that Gladys is the mom, to which the Mom and Marilyn scene was of very high contention over the past two episodes. Right. The second that it was in the show. Maybe you should have had some. Like, I just realized if she wasn't already in the show, why are you adding characters in the middle of rehearsal? Right. And if she was in the show, she should be cast already. (laughs) Who's covering this role? Who who, who in that ensemble is covering (laughs) Marilyn's mom? Literally. Literally. There's no one. You're just going to put a gray wig on Nina LaFarga and cross your fingers? <laughs> That's exactly what they're going to do. That is exactly what they're going to do. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> you know I got mad when Julia said, even our swings are hired. As if swings are the last thought or even the last thing to be hired. Mm-hmm. All y'all listen to this podcast know that swings are the most valuable team players and often yes, the most talented are. people because they have the most things that they have to take care of. So you're not casting your swings as like an afterthought, as like the people who didn't make it into the ensemble. Mm-hmm. And especially, hey, guess what? If you are using Derek's choreography and he's no longer in the room, guess who knows the show the best in this room right now? Your swings. Come on, Smash. Get it together. Okay. Uh. And then, and then, like, so, yeah, all of that aside, 
Tom offers Sam a track in the show. Where's this money coming from? Like, you didn't have to, like, check in with the producer who then had to pay this person and then make costumes for that person. Then that's where I'm just like, yeah, Tom, you're not thinking. Tom is the perfect example of when someone wants the acclaim for a job but doesn't actually want to do the job or knows how to do the job. Right. He's watched a lot of directing. Yeah. Or poor directing. Poor direct. I mean, and luckily he makes, after his, like, Heart to heart with Derek, which I actually thought was a very good scene. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that interesting? I, I actually thought it was a very good scene. Like, I was like, oh, you guys are friends now? Okay, cool. But good wisdom came out of it. Mm-hmm. Moderately good wisdom came out of it. But Tom makes this 180 and all of a sudden now knows exactly how to direct. And again, we see from Julia that, like, just because you lead well doesn't mean you're going to lose friends. He was like, hey, Julia, I need you to do the scene. Julia was like, cool. He was like, by tonight. She was like, cool, because they're at work. (laughs) Unless you have- We're all just like fun, free artists who like feel things and like drink and then sleep with each other. That's who Broadway actors are. If you've not, if you don't know that, then you haven't been paying attention to the season. I apparently haven't been doing Broadway very well. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Keep up to date with next week's recap. Be sure to watch season two, episode nine of Smash, The Parents. You can find Smash episodes on either the NBC app or NBC.com. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Mo Brady. And by me, Aaron Albano. There are two great ways you could be helping The Ensemblist right now. One is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And the second is by becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash The Ensemblist. Please follow The Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or at bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network. You can also follow us on Instagram. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.